Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Helen Keller once said, Faith is the strength by which a shattered world shall emerge into the light. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what's the topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how does faith actually work? Our theme text is found in James chapter 2, verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Are you talking to me? <laughs> so how does faith actually work, you foolish fellow? Uh, that is a New American Standard Bible translation. I think that's kind of amusing. Uh, so again, how does faith actually work? Faith. It is awe-inspiring in its transformative power. It's reassuring in its calming ability, and it provides powerful contentment as we daily apply it. Faith is also one of the most misunderstood, misrepresented, and maligned aspects in all of Christianity. Faith is too easily confused with ignorant hope, and as a result, it is easily dismissed by its detractors as a little fantasy in the limited minds of those who are believers. So, what is faith, really? How does it work, really? Is Christian faith the same as having faith in other people? Does it equate to the kind of faith that you would have in a doctor or an attorney to act in your best interest? Are we given Christian faith as a gift, or is it something that we have to develop? So, Jonathan, a lot of questions here for today's podcast, and we're going to be looking at faith through many confusing and contradictory lenses. You know, faith is just a confused subject out there. We're going to isolate what we think Christian faith really is and look to absolutely obliterate what we think Christian faith is not. So isolate and obliterate. That's part of our task here. We're also going to name and follow three specific phases for the development of Christian faith. And here's a newsflash. These three phases have very little to do with our emotions. Very little to do with our emotions. Faith truly brings us to a unique place. That's the next place we're going to go in, in our podcast today. We're going to define it, and let me clue you. The place that faith brings us is not Fantasy Island. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, you know, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting facetious and sarcastic here at the beginning because faith is just misunderstood. So we need to start with what is faith? Who has it? And a hint for you is I think everybody does. We just don't recognize or acknowledge that. Because, you know, a lot of people in, in, in relation to faith, are, you know, I am not a person of faith. And well, we'll see if you are. We'll see. So Jonathan, let's get to it. A biblical definition of faith. Let's start right there. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Okay, Hebrews 11.1, 1, that's the New International Version. Um, 
the Rotherham translation of that same verse just gives you a slightly different twist on it. So what, what does that version say? But faith is, of things hoped for, a confidence of facts, a conviction, when they are not seen. See, I love that translation because it's talking about you have confidence in things hoped for. Notice it doesn't say things wished for. True. Things hoped for. We'll get into that as we go. But and based of facts, it says there's a conviction of certain facts when they're not seen. So faith has got some grounding to it. What's the actual definition of the word for faith in, in the New Testament? Well, Rick, it means persuasion, credence, conviction, reliance, and constancy. Okay. And, you know, faith it's, it is one of those words in the New Testament where it's always from the same Greek word. So wherever you see the word faith, you know it's the same word through and through. That's kind of rare, actually. Um, it's from the same Greek word throughout the entire New Testament. And in every conversation that you and I ever have regarding faith, we always introduce something else. A word that is not often used, Rick, and that word is credulity. Okay, and what does credulity mean? It means readiness or willingness to believe, especially on slight or uncertain evidence. And Rick, I love this word because this really makes it clear. Gullibility. This is a problem because when folks look at Christianity, people on the outside, especially those who like to make fun of us, and there's lots of them, look at us and they say, look how gullible they are. And, and you know, they talk about this life of faith. And then, of course, you can make all the jokes about a life of faith um, and, and, you know, God's presence in your life. And, you know, the classic thing is, well, you know, I'll have faith if God will talk to me right now. Then I'll have faith. And, you know, it, it's just, it's like, see, you know, what, what, what are you basing your faith on? The idea of credulity or gullibility is not biblical. And that's what we need to establish here. Christian, true Christian faith is not gullibility. It's not credulity. It's something very different, something much more profound. And Jonathan, it's something much more common than a lot of people would like to admit. Good point. So we're going to look at Christian faith and begin to develop the story of Christian faith and how it works in our lives. First, though, you know what we're going to talk about? How about Millie Buggins? Millie Buggins. Millie Buggins. You know, until I heard this, watched <laughs> this YouTube video, I didn't know a Millie Buggin exists. That actually it doesn't, but follow along with us, okay? This is uh, this is actually a very well done uh, video. Faith, what is faith? Video illustration, Grace Christian Church, uh, Venita, Venita, uh, Oklahoma, uh, and. Uh, here, here's the, his his first pass at explaining faith, and it kind of fits into what we were just saying about the idea of gullibility and all of that stuff. Let's listen in. Faith, the final frontier. These are the voyages... No, it's ridiculous, although that's where most people take this topic, to science fiction. Faith, what is it really? A magic feeling that we get to help us through tough times? A mystical bridge between fact and fiction? Is it really blind? Is it a word we use when we can't explain ourselves? Is it real on any level? Let's investigate. Hypothetical. A person says to you, I sure do wish I could believe in Millie Buggins like you do. I just don't have that kind of faith. Well, 
What that person is really saying is that Millie Buggins aren't real, and you are the type of person who believes in unreal things, and it takes this strange faith thing that not many other people have for you to get there. Okay, in the nicest way possible, then, this person is calling you insane, or at best, just a little nutty. So you have this odd capability of believing in something you desperately wish to be true, but you just can't be sure if it is. However, since it makes you feel better, it's worth it for you. Well, that pretty much sums up what faith means to most people. In other words, the stronger your faith, the more ridiculous the belief must be. Because after all, a little faith helps you believe in things that probably aren't true. So then their really powerful faith will be the kind of faith you absolutely know something isn't true, but you still believe it anyway. Thus, faith is reduced to some blind anecdotal act that magically suspends disbelief of reality in order to make you feel better. You know, trying to cut his 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 discussion into pieces was difficult because, man, he talks faster than me. He does. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he made some really excellent points. You know, the idea that a lot of people look at faith and look in on your Christian faith as, oh, you're the kind that has faith in Millie Buggins. You know, and, you know, when people don't believe in God and say, oh, yeah, you believe in that God guy, you know, it's like... I wish I could do that. They're really saying, I wish I could have, I don't know, you seem to be have some peace in your life or seem to be content in your ignorance or whatever they're thinking. You know, it'd be nice to be like that. And, and it's an insult to what faith truly is. And not just what we would like faith to truly be, but what it's defined as in Scripture. Exactly. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, in the Rotherham Version, Rick, it's things hoped for. There's confidence. There's facts. It's conviction on things not seen. That's not a fantasy. Right. There's no Millie Buggins in that. No, there is I not. wish I knew where he got Millie Buggins from, because that's pretty cool. I'd like to see what a Millie Buggins looks like. Anyway, let's get started here. Christian faith should first and foremost be based on God Almighty. So, Jonathan, I'm making that statement. Why? Why should Christian faith, faith first and foremost be based on God Almighty? Well, Rick, all the physical creation is from him. Okay. Now, we believe that. Now, obviously, a lot of people may not, but let's go to some scriptures and start to put that together in terms of understanding belief in God, the Creator, as a basis for our faith. Let's go to Psalm 89, verses 11 through 14. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours the world and all it contains, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, shout for joy at your name. Rick, mountains are inspirational. If yeah. you're on a mountaintop, you really see the beauty and majesty of uh, creation. And here in this verse, it talked about Tabor. Well, Rick, Tabor... Its elevation is 1,886 feet, and that's located in Lower Galilee. The disciples would see Tabor constantly throughout their following of Jesus. But then it ends with Hermon, which is the highest elevation in Israel's territory, 9,232 feet high, Mount Hermon which is the greatest site in all of Israel. So you've got a, a mountain called Tabor that's kind of like a hill, but still pretty high. And it's always seen, yes, And then you've got Galilee. one that's five times higher than that. And so, yes. and, and, and you know, the idea is that we look at that, we say the heavens are yours and the earth is yours because you founded them. That's what this psalm is saying. God, you founded them. And for those who don't believe in God and say, okay, you know, you know, things just happened. Here's the problem with things just happened. They are orderly. 
They are, there is an order to the physics of the universe. How did the order get put in place? Order does not come from disorder. It needs guidance. And that's where we see God in this whole thing. So our faith, Christian faith, should be first and foremost based on God Almighty. Why? Well, first of all, like we're, we're saying here, and we're just going to go through these quickly, he created all things. He founded them. What else? What's the next, what's the next factor of God that makes us put our faith in him? Well, Rick, he is ultimately powerful to be able to do all of this. Okay, and verse 13 of Psalm 89. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. And, you know, it uses that human factor to help us imagine the strength of God. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. You are powerful. You are a mover. Have faith in those that can get the job done. You know, that, and this is on, on a very high level. This is how we're describing our faith in God. What else about God should our Christian faith be based in? He's ultimately wise and benevolent. Verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. So you start out with the basis of the power or, or the grandeur, I should say, of creation. Then you go to the strength of God. And now in the very next verse, you're looking at the wisdom and benevolence and loving kindness and truth and righteousness and justice. And that just gives you a sense. You talk about inspiration. You know, when you have a God that is all of those things, that that's not only inspirational, but it gives you incredible confidence. And confidence is really a big, big, big part of faith. And Rick, the next point is truly he's all-powerful and one must be all-trustworthy as well. So... And you know, and that, that's huge because you can't. It, it's great to be all powerful, and it's great to be mighty, but are you worthy of trust? Second Timothy two eleven to thirteen for that point, Jonathan. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. That, again, is powerful. Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because that's the character of God, and the character of God, once in place, cannot be changed. And if you can't have faith in that, if, if, you can't, if that's not trustworthy, then I don't know what is. You know, when, in, in some ways, people can look at that as kind of boring. Well, you mean they don't change? No, they don't. Isn't it great? that God is always the same, always the same in terms of his power and his plan and his trust and his wisdom and his justice and his kindness and his mercy. So, you know, here, here's the thing, Jonathan. Our faith has to become provable to God. And, and before we go to 2 Timothy 2.15, I just want to make a point. Our faith doesn't need to be provable to your friends or your family. It doesn't need to be provable on reality TV. It needs to be provable to God. How do we do that? Second Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So what this is talking about, and we're going to delve into this a whole lot more because we're just establishing faith really in God in this segment. But this is saying now, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. So, you know, it's great to have faith in God, 
and it's great to have that contentment that comes from it. But obviously, there's a whole lot more to the picture because you're supposed to show yourself approved. And how do you do that? Accurately handling the word of truth. So it means you have to pay attention. You have to invest yourself into what God is all about. And that's a major, major part of how faith uh, actually works. So each segment, we have a finding faith piece to sum it up. So Jonathan, finding faith for the first segment is what? Christian faith is conviction that is evidence-based. It places God, the creator, at its center, and it builds all of its hopes and conclusions on God and his word. Okay, conviction that is evidence-based, not feeling-based, not wishful-based, not fantasy-based, but it's a conviction that is evidence-based. That's what true, real, honest-to-goodness Christian faith looks like. So real, true Christian faith is absolutely a mindset, and that mindset is entirely God-focused. How does faith get started? Is it a gift? Is it like a muscle that needs exercise? Is it a way of life? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. You know, you mentioned three things, a gift, a muscle that needs exercise, and a way of life. Faith is actually all of these things. The mistake many make when they look at and try to analyze faith is they try to put it in a box that's accessible through our emotions. We are going to see that this is actually a backwards approach. Faith has foundations far deeper and stronger than how we can ever feel. And I'm going to end up being a broken record on this, Jonathan, because if you don't get this point, you are locking yourself out of the profound impact faith can have on your life. It's not based on how you feel. Mahatma Gandhi, great quote here, Jonathan. A small body of determined spirits, fired by an unquestionable faith in their mission, can alter the course of history. You know, and that kind of gives you a sense of the idea of what faith, what we're looking for. A small body of determined spirits, fired by an unquenchable faith in their mission. That means you're driven by something bigger than you. So we're going to suggest three basic phases in which biblical faith actually develops. And they're very logical, simple phases. They're going to be based in three simple words. And what, folks, a good exercise is to ask yourself, where am I in these three phases? Now, most of us have gone through this first phase. What is the first phase? One word. Well, Rick, it's acquaintance. Okay, acquaintance. And give me a little bit of an explanation on that. Well, the words of others are needed for us to be introduced to Christian faith. Okay. You know, when you meet somebody, you know, if you're being very courteous, you say, pleased to make your acquaintance. Okay. So what we're suggesting is we need to become acquainted with faith. And what you just said is words of others are needed for us to be introduced to real Christian faith. Faith is a gift based upon the rich mercy of God. And you know what, Jonathan? Everybody loves to get a gift. Oh, absolutely. 
And this is really one that's quite special. Second, I'm second. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Rick, I love this verse, and it it made me think, you know, th- this this question that I have, Rick, I want to introduce God to you. Okay. And, and and here he is in Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. He is full of love. He loved us even when we were sinners. Now we're talking about the whole world. But then not only that is because of his grace, unmerited favor, he gave us a free gift to follow after his son, follow in his footsteps, and he's blessing us. And in ages to come, this, this surpass, surpassing richness he's going to give to those that love his son and follow in his footsteps. This is God. So, I, and you know, if you introduced me to someone like that, I would be very pleased to make their acquaintance. You know, and, and <laughs> no, and seriously, you know, and, and I think this is a, a really important picture. Imagine yourself being introduced to God, folks, with that, with that resume. This is God. Let me just tell you who he is as I introduce you to him. And if you get that, you can see that making his acquaintance is something you now look really look forward to because you say to yourself, wow, this is someone very, very special, very powerful and very special. That's a, that's a, that's a good, good, uh, good, good picture. You know, introduce others to God so they can be pleased to make his acquaintance. Faith makes our acquaintance, not by coming to us as a result of any works of our own. And this is a, an important part of this whole picture. And Ephesians, we'll go back to chapter 2, we only got through verse 7. Let's do verses 8, uh, 9, and part of 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. And, and, and I think that if we grasp what this is saying, that faith, the acquaintance to faith, isn't because you're so good. Isn't no, because you've done something special. It's because God is so good, God has done something special, and is drawing you to understand him. So the initial acquaintance to faith really, by description here, comes through deep humility. It really does. Because I didn't earn the introduction. You know, you introduced me to him. And I think we need to understand that as, as a basis. So let, let's go back to uh, faith. What is faith? Video illustration, Grace Christian Church. Uh, uh, he was talking about, you know, how people with the Millie Buggins, you know, uh, mislabel mis- faith. So now he's going to get into a little bit of redefining. You got to wonder, is this really the kind of faith the Bible talks about? Let's look at the word again, okay? Let's refocus. The Bible refers to faith really in only one way. It's like this. Suppose I say, I have faith that my friend will repay me the 10 bucks he owes me on Saturday because he said he would. 
See, there's nothing strange about that faith, and nobody would fault me for having it if they knew my friend. Because what I'm saying essentially are three things. One, my friend is real. Two, he's trustworthy. And three, which is really a subset of two, I believe one and two because I have a relationship with my friend. Now, for just a second, let's get morbid to make a critical illustration. What if my friend died on the way to give me my ten bucks back? He didn't come through. No matter how much faith I had in him, how real and completely trustworthy he may have been, he didn't have the power to live up to my faith. Was he really any less trustworthy or any less real? No. But the person or object on which I place my faith is an essential part of how strong my faith should be. I mean, how much faith do you have that your two-year-old basset hound can drive your new Lexus to the bank and bring you back $1,000 in 20s? None, I hope. Your basset hound drive your Lexus to the bank? Really? <laughs> well, and he, again, I, I, I love the guy because he makes, he makes the points easy to grasp. He's saying you, can, you have faith in your friend, and it's, and it's justifiable faith. And, but sometimes we let each other down because circumstances are, are, are too big. And he's saying your faith needs to be in accordance with the power and ability of the one you have the faith in. And that's setting up for real, true, strong faith in God. So go ahead, Jonathan. Well, Rick, um, the gospel is a free gift to any and all who would accept it. Faith is witnessed by his followers. Okay. The word shows us this. So you, you started out this segment with saying acquaintance, the words of others. So faith makes our acquaintance by offering us peace based on answers to hard questions. And so let's get into the gospel and those hard questions and the answers. Romans chapter 10, we're going to do 12, 14 to 15, and then 17 in, in pieces. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? So this is a really important place to start. You know, the, the, the illustration you gave earlier about, Rick, I want to introduce you to God. What you did is you served as my conduit to get to God. Unless you took me by the arm and said, hey, listen, I've got someone I want you to meet, and brought me over to him and said, this is God, let me tell you a little bit about him. I would not have met him. And that's exactly what this scripture is saying. How are they going to call on him on whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him if they haven't even heard of him? How is it even possible? And how will they hear unless somebody speaks up? And so to have faith make an acquaintance with you in your life, someone somewhere needs to speak up. If you want people around you to have an acquaintance with God, maybe you should introduce them. Now, nice. it, can be, it can be done in all kinds of different ways. It can be very subtle, especially, you know, if you're in the workplace, you've got to be careful about those things. But you can subtly bring people to an introduction to God. Make his acquaintance. Faith makes our acquaintance by, not only by the um, answers to the hard questions, but by prophecy fulfilled. And that's another way the words work, and by the power and word of Christ. Again, Romans chapter 10, let's go to verses 15 and then to verse 17. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of great, good news of good things. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
And Rick, the, the words, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things, that's a prophecy found in Isaiah 52, verse 7. So what the apostle is saying is, now, now, now try to get, get your head around this. In the acquaintance phase, now, folks, for most of you who are listening, I would imagine have gotten at least to this phase. Okay, you may have stumbled on this and like, what, what is this Christian questions? Are they questioning Christianity or what, what's going on? Maybe I'll listen and maybe you have no faith at all. The idea is really simple. The idea is we have to have an acquaintance with God so that we can begin to have an acquaintance with faith. And in the Old Testament, the gospel, the good news of the gospel was prophesied. It was spoken about a thousand years before it actually happened. And there's no accident to that, and that's another way you become acquainted with a life of faith. When you realize a lot of things said in the Old Testament and the hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years in between, when they actually happened, they happened. And you say, okay, that's an example of being able to be acquainted with faith because you can connect the dots. It was, it was spoken of, it was prophesied of, and then a long time later, it actually came true. Let me introduce you to the God who made that happen. Let me introduce you to what a life of faith can look like. So we're at the introduction stage, and it's, it's kind of an enlightening stage, and, and, and a stage where you can say, wow, that's something special. And, and if you notice, there's nothing here about big emotion. It's about, wow, those are inc- impressive credentials. You know, you think about, and, and just before I get off of prophecy, because this is fascinating to me, to have prophecies that are fulfilled is an incredibly impressive credential. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is the God that could say something, and a thousand years later it came to pass, when he he said it would come to pass, and the way he said it would come to pass. That's impressive credentials. What else does faith do? Faith makes our acquaintance by the rehearsing of factual events, Rick. Okay, so we've got peace based on answer to hard questions. We've got prophecies fulfilled. Um, and, and we've got the idea that faith has to come from the words of someone else. So now you're saying faith makes our acquaintance by the rehearsing of factual events. Second Peter chapter 1, 16 to 21, we'll break this into two pieces. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And Rick, uh, this was Peter talking about the Mount of Transfiguration, which was um, talked about in Matthew 17, verse 1. And the interesting thing is, on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw a, a, a miraculous vision. Now, it was a vision. But it was really, really astounding, you know, with Moses and Elijah and Jesus in this vision and the voice of God coming from heaven. That's pretty powerful. But what the apostle Peter is saying is, you know what, brethren, this is a fact. And I'm telling you it's a fact because I was there. And he wasn't the only one there. Right. Right. There were others to confirm it. Right, right. So you had Peter, James, and John there, you know, confirming this incredible thing, and he's saying it's factual. And so faith makes our acquaintance by rehearsing of factual events, by saying this is what actually did happen. And so we've got prophecy, 
which is a kind of a factual event that takes a long time to unfold, but does right on time. And then other factual events. This is how faith makes our acquaintance. The question is, are we responding by saying, oh, yeah, I'm so pleased to make your acquaintance when we see faith coming into our lives? Is it something we look at and say, wow, that's pretty cool. I, I, wanna, I want to get to know this more. I want to get to know this in a better way. One other, one other point about faith making our acquaintance for this segment. Faith makes our acquaintance by tying all the scriptures together through Jesus himself. Okay. So now, it, it's the words of others. And, you know, sometimes, Jonathan, the words are spoken, and sometimes the words are written. And faith can make your acquaintance if you begin to read the word. It's better to have someone working with you on it, because sometimes it's hard to explain. But it gives you a sense that it can come to you in a lot of different ways and begin to make an impression on you. And, you know, when you make acquaintance, an acquaintance with somebody, that first impression really goes a long way. It does. So when someone is basically saying to you, I would like to introduce you to God, you might want to pay attention. Let's look at Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Let's go to verses 19 through 21. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars arise in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will, but by men, but men moved by the Holy Spirit from God. So Jonathan's talking about the prophetic word confirmed by the things that the Apostle Peter saw. He said, you know, there are the prophecies and the factual events that I saw with my own eyes confirmed those prophecies. It says, yeah, yeah, this, this is all fitting together into a very, very big, 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 neat, clear picture. And this whole thing centers around Jesus. I mean, the whole transfiguration thing was all about Jesus in the center between Moses and Elijah. So it gives us the sense of tying the scriptures together all around the Lord Jesus because that's the key to learning about faith, to making an acquaintance to faith. Our finding faith factoid for, for this uh, segment. <laughs> faith makes our acquaintance not by our own works, but by answers, by prophecy, by facts, and scriptural harmony. Faith does not make our acquaintance through our emotions. And let's talk about that for a minute. It's so important to understand that true faith, not credulity, not gullibility, but true faith will make your acquaintance because it's giving you something solid to look to. It's not giving you something to wish for. It's not giving you something to go down, down a fantasy lane to say, whoa, that could be really, really cool and awesome but something solid to put your hope in. It, it makes our acquaintance not by anything we can do. It will not acquaint itself to us through what we do. It acquaints our, itself to us through the power of the gospel and the power of the words who, of those who bring the gospel to us. So Christian faith is not very, not at all, magical. It really is a defined growth process. Now that we are acquainted with faith, how do we really get to know it and give it a home? 
You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row, really easy playlist features, and you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Interestingly, we find that our emotions do begin to play a more of a role in this next phase of faith's development. Once acquainted with some, someone, we then get to know them. This process can be thrilling, as a new relationship has, always has lots of possibilities. Faith's possibilities are endless. So we've gone through this acquaintance phase, and now we need to get on to the next phase. And before we do that, a quote on faith from St. Augustine. Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. And that's part of the next uh, next phase of faith. You've become acquainted with faith, and hopefully you're so pleased to make faith's acquaintance. What's the next step, the next phase? Acceptance, Rick. Okay, and just explain that a little bit. The Word of God is need to be read and learned from to make faith a part of our life. So, you know, it was the words of others primarily that, that, that helped to bring us. And now the word of God, acceptance, and we're, we're, we're suggesting that the acceptance of faith into your life as a part of it, not just an acquaintance, but a part of it, means that you have to begin to really put yourself into what it is that you have faith in. And the most tangible way we can do that is the Word of God. Go ahead. Rick, I was thinking about uh, when I got to this step of acceptance. You know, I was acquainted. I was introduced to God. You know, when I I hit bottom in my life and the Lord overruled and directed me to the right person to introduce me to God and his plan and how it was so harmonious and fit together so beautifully. And then I met brethren that had this this faith and understanding. And I went to studies on weeknights and, and on, on Sundays. And then a, a man from New Haven, Connecticut, came to Wilmington, Delaware to give a sermon on the majesty of God's power in the heavens. And he had all these charts and pictures of of the universe and the galaxies and how everything works together and it's all harmonious and and the comets and meteors and just, just I was just I sat back and said if God can keep the universe in order like this I'm ex- I'm giving my life to him here and now and I shared that night after that sermon that it's time I was acquaint I was introduced but now it's time for me to step up and say I'm giving my heart to the Lord so you, you're, you're giving us that sense of the beginning of the acceptance stage. Exactly. The acquaintance, you were introduced, and it was really a good introduction. And it's something it that you wanted to get to know more about and more about. And then you get to a point where you say, you know what? I need to have it as part of my life. You got it. And, exactly. And that's what acceptance is. Faith is like a muscle that needs exercise. We accept faith into our lives by exercising that muscle. And you know, you've always you hear the the concept of muscle memory all the time. Oh yeah. And and you know, muscle memory is continuous repetition of an action so that that action becomes instinctual to you. My son in the Coast Guard always talks about muscle memory and they do things thousands of times in practice so that when the stress is up, 
and there's and there's there's stuff happening all over the place and and there's no order it's only chaos muscle memory carries you through faith works like that accepting faith comes through observation and application this can mean learning through good things and learning through failure as well you haven't had that happen though have you <laughs> More than most. <laughs> I wouldn't say more than most. Maybe more than you'd like, right? Right. <laughs> well, that's what I would say about me. More, much more than I'd like, but uh, hopefully not more than most. <laughs> Matthew eight twenty three to twenty six. Sometimes I'm a slow learner. Yeah, okay. okay, I get that. When we got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. You know, it's interesting. We look at that, and he says, You know, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? You know, that that's not, that's a rebuke, but it's not a rebuke that says you are losers, it's a rebuke that says, your faith needs to grow more. I'm with you. Remember who I am. This is Jesus speaking. I am with you. What is there that you could possibly fear in my presence? That's what they had to grow into. That's what they had to accept. And this was one of those experiences that, and we have these experiences. We have the stormy experiences, and then we come through them, and we say, oh, Thou Rick of little faith. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we learn. That's how we grow. Let's let's go back to um, faith. What is faith? Video illustration, Grace Christian Church. Uh, he talked about redefining faith in the last one. And now he's going to, this will be our last segment with him. Uh, he's just going to be talking about now putting your faith in God as as the right place for it to be. But now, turn that analogy of my friend and your dog toward God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, and incapable of lying, and ask yourself this, on whom does it make the most sense to place your greatest faith? Well, I'll tell you, anyone who has a right relationship with God, and quite honestly, anyone who doesn't, knows he is the only one capable of doing everything he says, the only one with the knowledge of the future, the only one who understands everything, the only one who really knows you, and the only one who has revealed through nature and his word who he is and what he's done, how much he loves you, and why he is the only completely trustworthy one there is. Got it? Good. In summary then, faith in God is always a response to truth and reality and has nothing to do with blind leaps, the USS Enterprise, or wishful thinking. Trust me. I love that. Uh, you know, it just puts it in perspective and it tells you that the things that we talked about earlier are the really important things. You have to have that sense of uh, um, acquaintance, that I'm, you've been introduced to something, something that, that's good and, and, and worth following up on, and now that sense of accepting what you've been acquainted with because it sure sounds like it's got some, some power to it. So accepting faith is working at, at proving its basis. That's how we accept it. It's not about how you feel. It's working at proving its basis. This gives us ever deeper foundations of faith, okay? P work at proving its basis, um, and the Bible teaches us to prove our faith and to not be gullible, to not be credulous. First Thessalonians five nineteen to twenty two. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. 
abstain from every form of evil. So in those those quick little verses, test all things, hold fast that which is good. How do you do that? Jonathan, how, how do you do that? How do you test all things? What are some of the th- ways we can go about doing that? Well, the importance of context in God's Word. The Bible needs to be understood and not just read, Rick. Okay, see, this is important. Faith in the acquaintance stage, oftentimes we read the Bible. Right, exactly. Faith in the acceptance stage is we now want to study the Bible. Okay, so this is an important change. So, now look, this is a whole podcast in and of itself, these next few little bullet points, because studying the Bible is an, there, it, it, it's, 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 it's an art. It's a process that we need to learn to grow into. What are some of the important things about studying the Bible, Jonathan? Because you just can't open up to a page and read a verse and say, okay, I'm going to do that. It just, well, it's not going to work. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. Well, the first point, when and to whom are the words spoken or written? Okay. When are they written? To whom are they written or spoken in the, the words of Scripture? What else? What are the circumstances of the words needed to be spoken or written? Okay. What were the circumstances when those words were needing to be spoken or, or, or those things were written? If a prophecy was written, what were the circumstances that, that, that spurred the prophecy in the circumstance? What was happening that caused Jesus to say what he said? Those are important factors to understand to be able to accept what the Word is telling us so we can accept faith as a way of life. What's the next point? Why and when, in what age, are the words spoken or written, and when do they apply? See, another thing that I think a lot of Christians don't realize is that the biblical history that we read in Scripture, bringing us right up to now, divides humanity chronologically into ages, into time frames of things happening. For instance, you have the time frame from Genesis to the flood. That's a time frame. Then you have the time frame of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons. God was dealing with individuals. And then you have Jacob's 12 sons, and what did they become? They became Israel, and they received the law. And that, so that's the age of the Jewish nation. Then you have the age where after Israel rejects Jesus, what's next? The gospel age. So the age where the gospel is reigning. See, things are changing in history. And then, of course, when we look forward, we're going to see the Messianic age, the age of the God's kingdom. But the point is, when reading Scripture, we need to understand where these things apply. And that can be, like, overwhelming. Like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Sure you can. Just get some help. Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, is a great way to get help on understanding the application of ages and times and dispensations and all of those things and figure out how the Bible works and how things apply in certain places. What's the last uh, bullet point we want to touch on here? Are the words symbolic, literal, or prophetic, admonitions, parables, or a record of events? There's so much variety in Scripture. And again, it's, it's hard. And that's why we go back to the scriptures about, about, you know, those preaching the word to others, you know, having the experience and then passing that experience on. It's a matter of learning how to understand the Bible as it was meant to be understood. That's how we begin to accept faith into our lives. It's through the word of God and understanding the word of God. Accepting faith is receiving trial and testing 
with an embrace. So it's not just about the word, but now it's about our experiences. James 1, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So, Jonathan, when you read that scripture, you know, it talks about facing trials of any kind. You know, it's, 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 it's trying to encourage us through those trials. What, 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 what's your take on that encouragement? Well, the important thing that jumps out, Rick, is you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Our experiences help our faith grow. And so we're thankful for our experiences so that we can have stronger faith. You know, and in almost every aspect of life, endurance is a major factor. Mm. In no matter what we do, endurance plays into it. And when you develop endurance in whatever it is you're doing or, or, or working on or, or even with recreation, you know, endurance carries you through. And so what this is saying is testing of your faith gives you endurance. This is how you accept it. You understand that the difficulties are creating endurance if you let them. That's a huge part of becoming mature, as this scripture was saying. So let's go to, to the next piece, accepting faith. It's not only receiving trial and testing with endurance. It now also means using what we learn as a basis for more growth. Endurance brings opportunity for wisdom. The very next verse in James chapter 1 is verse 5. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and will be given to you. So, Jonathan, you, you, you feel like you need wisdom. What do you do? I not only read the word and pray for it, but I actually asked my brethren to pray for me so that I could gain wisdom and knowledge and learning, because... I was just starting when I accepted, and I needed God's wisdom to help me move further. So again, what that brings out is the, the humility of the growth process, the acquaintance process, and now the acceptance. And acceptance means growth, because when you accept something, it's one thing to, to make the proclamation of accepting it. Yes. It's another thing to live it, and then it's another thing to continue to live it. And that's what you're describing. So, you know, learning, if you lack wisdom, you ask God. He's faithful. He's going to help us with that. Next point, accepting faith is consciously putting doubt aside. Now, this one's tough. Replacing it with the credibility of God's ways, not the credulity that people apply to Christianity, not gullibility, but you put your doubt aside and you replace it with credibility of God's ways. Verses 6 through 8 of uh, James chapter 1. But ask in faith, never doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Okay, uh, that was doubled up. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? The doubter is double-minded. That you know, I could say that I did that on purpose, but I didn't. But it worked out really well, didn't it? <laughs> it certainly did. <laughs> so you know, and that's the thing. 
We need to put doubt aside and replace it with the credibility of God's grace. Ask in faith, never doubting. Why do you never doubt? Because we already know who God is, what he has done, what his power is, what his mercy is, what his plan is. And so those are the credible reasons that we can put our doubt aside. That's part of accepting faith into our lives. Next point, accepting faith is fighting for the truth upon which it is foundationally based. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So this is interesting because Jude sets out, he has an objective in mind. I just wanted to write to you about our common salvation, and I wanted to just enhance that in your minds and in your hearts. He said, but I couldn't because there's too many difficulties happening now, and I decided to write to you about earnestly contending for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. In other words, there was truth delivered at the beginning. It's starting to get corrupted. You have to focus to find the real truth. So accepting faith is fighting for actual truth in our lives, not just what somebody just might say because it sounds good. Actual, biblical, scriptural truth. Really, really important. What's our finding faith point for the for the segment? Accepting faith is letting God's word become part of our every day. We must prove the word, embrace our experiences, rise above doubt, and fight for truth. Keep emotions in check. If we don't keep our emotions in check, our emotions will give us a checkmate. I mean, really, that's what it's going to come down to. Because emotions override clear thinking. And it's really easy for us to get into a situation where we have our emotions overridden, our, 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 our clear thinking, rather, overridden by emotions. It is not a good thing. It is not a faithful thing. That is not what accepting faith actually looks like. So now Christian faith is starting to look like a lot of work. The good news is it's really worth it. We are now acquainted with faith and have accepted it into our daily lives. What else do we need? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. Here is where I think most Christians begin to actually fade. Let's face it. Once we get to know what faith is, and once we put it in place in our daily experiences, we kind of feel like we've arrived. Well, we haven't. Next, we need to put our faith in a position to rule us. Not just be a part of us, but to rule our hearts. And again, Jonathan, I think we, we, we lose a lot of, of, of folks who profess Christianity at this point. It's interesting, some get lost at the acquaintance stage. You figure like, okay, I know God, that's good, that's cool. You know, go to church on Sunday, get reminded, get reacquainted, and go back to your life. And then you get reacquainted and you go back to your life. There's no growth. Then you accept and you start to build some faith, but we only go so far. And our faith is now kind of conditional based on what's happening in our experiences and so forth. So now we've got to get to the next step. But before we do that, a quote from Edwin Lewis Cole. Obedience is an act of faith. Disobedience is the result of unbelief. Okay. Obedience is an act of faith. 
our faith needs, what's the next phase? And, and Trish has got a comment after we just introduce this. Allegiance. Our words and actions firmly reflect the word of God in all parts of our life. We show our allegiance to our faith by doing works of faith. So we've looked at acquaintance. We've looked and understood what acceptance is in the process. And now it comes down to allegiance. Now it comes down to what does your faith do to you? Not what do you do to accept it, but when you have allegiance to something, it does something to you. Trish, thought, comment, question? Yes. Um, well, I have a couple questions, but I just wanted to say, like, when listening to what you're saying, some of my biggest challenges in Christian faith is that there are so many different conclusions. Um, how do you know that your faith is true or solid? I mean, we have faith, this person has faith, but in the end, we all have a different perspective of what it looks like. So I find that confusing. Well, you're right. It is. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> no, and that's a tough one. That's why I said that. It's a tough one because it really comes down to not how you feel about things, but honestly and truly it comes down to what is the Word of God driving us to? And, you know, we can, uh, way back when we were doing radio, way back when, when Sean was on the board with us, remember? I mean, we okay. were talking way back. He used to always say, you know, the Bible can be like an old fiddle. You can play any tune you want on it. And I you remember know, that. And, 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 and that's one of the challenges is we can decide that the Bible is our fiddle. We can have a need and an objective and find a way to make the Bible fit it. But is that the way it's supposed to be? Not at all. Allegiance in faith, and Trish, thanks for that. That's a really important question. Allegiance in faith implies, now think about this, that the faith, what you have faith in, is bigger than you are. The faith doesn't have allegiance to you. You must have allegiance to it. That means where it guides, I will follow, even if it's not what I want. You know, and that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. So let's let's take a look at some scriptures on this, you know, in terms of developing uh, allegiance. Again, our words and actions firmly reflect the word of God in all parts of our life. Uh, James chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, and this is where we get our theme text from. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Are you talking to me again? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's always um, appropriate to be reminded of that. We foolish fellows. Mm. Faith without works is useless. You know, you, and he, James is talking about the argument. You can say I have faith, and you know, and and you know, I can say I have works. You know, show, and he's going to say, I, show me faith by works. In other words, if your faith has gone through the acceptance stage into the allegiance stage, what does it do? It provokes you to change. Now, what are works of faith. It could be a lot of things. Again, we could do a whole podcast on just this, but let's let's just touch on some things, Jonathan. Give, give, give well, us some a, examples. A couple of things that came to mind. Prayer, uh, witnessing, uh, how about encouraging or, or studying? 
uh, just a couple to mention. Okay, so the works of faith don't have to be, it's not always being out in front of a crowd of people and, you know, drawing attention to the gospel of Christ. It can be in the workplace. Works of faith can be in the workplace. Maybe you don't have an opportunity to speak up, but you have an opportunity to work hard. You have an opportunity to be courteous. You have an opportunity to have integrity. And you have an opportunity to lead by example. Every one of us in our lives can do those things. Those can be works of faith. Because one of the things you always say to me about when you go and do your work is what? In terms of your focus of your work. Do all things as unto the Lord. Exactly. Exactly. And you make it the, the, the point of your work to do it as unto God. Though that's a work of faith. Let, let's take a, a little bit of a, of a different turn here. This is fascinating stuff. This is a, um, a TED Talk from Salt Lake City. It's called This Is Your Brain on God by Michael Ferguson. And we're just going to touch in just to a couple of three, three little sound bites from this TED Talk. But he is a... Uh, um, does uh, He studies the brain. And it's, it's interesting because he's studying faith and the human mind. And it's just a fascinating combination. Let's listen. This is an exciting time to be a brain researcher. Let's talk about the word God for a moment. It's a simple three-letter word in English. Yet this one word is so powerful linguistically and psychologically that it is used to invoke military courage, to promote feelings of nationalism, and even to justify war and atrocity. The hypothetical omission of this one word by a president of the United States, the failure to simply say, God bless America, would likely cause their public approval ratings to plummet. Whatever your metaphysical beliefs are, the literal fact is that the trajectories of lives and nations swing on the hinge of this one word, God. You know, and that's an interesting concept because what he's saying is he's hinting toward the idea that the human mind is wired to look to something bigger. You know, and, and it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. And I think it's true. I think the human mind is wired towards something bigger. I think a lot of us fight that for our whole lives because we don't want it to be. But I think that's the that's kind of what we're the way we're built. And you know, it doesn't surprise me because who created humanity? Oh wait, let me think. Who was that? <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he so it gives us a sense I think I think it's just it's fascinating in relation to faith to, to see that we're actually wired to have faith in that in an upward direction. So let's let's now focus on allegiance. We show our allegiance to our faith by standing firmly in the righteousness and protection of Jesus. Romans 8, 33 to 39. And if you noticed, Jonathan, just before we get into this, I just want to make the point again. We haven't talked a lot about being emotional, have we? We have not. You know, we haven't talked about, you know, the, the, the power of, 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 of uh, feeling to enhance your faith. Because the fact is, that's not how faith gets enhanced. It gets enhanced by real things. So again, Romans eight thirty three to 39. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised? Who was at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? We will separate 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So you've got the... Paul is being very, very strong here. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who who, who brought us to him. Uh, it, Jesus is the one who died for us. And then he says, you know, who, who can separate us from the love of, of Christ? And he names off a lot of different things. And Jonathan, when you read these... What, what, where do you go in your own mind? Where do you go when you read this? What, what happens inside of your mind when you read these things? Well, first of all, the Apostle Paul went through all of those things. Yeah, you're right. He went through tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. He, he just listed his whole Christian walk right before us. But he's like, none of that matters. Because God is for us. Who can be against us? So, you know, and that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that out because what it's saying is, the reality of his life. He wasn't writing these things to be poetic. Not at all. He wasn't writing these things just to try to light a fire in somebody. He was saying, essentially, in my experience, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword won't separate us from God. I know that. I've Fact. been there. Fact. Right, right, right. <laughs> so that's really, that's, that's powerful stuff. We, so we further show our allegiance to our faith by being thoroughly convicted to the cause of Christ. Now, for, you know, first we had standing firm in the righteousness and protection, and that's what that was about. Now, verse 36 and 37 of Romans 8 is about the thorough conviction to the cause of Christ. Go ahead. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquering through him who loved us. So it's interesting because the previous verse, Jonathan, was, was kind of the inspirational verse. It's like, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. You know, bring on the tribulation, bring on the distress. You know, and, and you know, those are the things you get excited about. This is a verse that I don't know that you get really excited about. But it's just... Sa- sacrifice. <laughs> um, sacrifice being... A sheep led to slaughter. Um, be, we're being put to death all day long. Wow, that that definitely doesn't raise the emotion of here we go. No, but what it does. Look at what it says in thirty-seven. But in all these things, we are we overwhelmingly conquer. So in the being led to the slaughter, in the being put to death all day long, that is conquering. If you don't have allegiance to your faith, this won't cut it. You won't go through this. If you've accepted faith and you get tests like this, you'll fade. And that's why the steps are so important, these phases of getting to the point where faith rules over us. Our next point, we show our allegiance to our faith by fighting against any and every dark obstacle and power. Verses 38 and 39 of Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rick, uh, I was thinking about when we go through trials in our lives, Something that I do, I look back on my Christian walk and I remember situations where the Lord brought me through where I, I never knew how I was going to get through something. 
it helped me to say, okay, if he helped me there, when this trial hits me, I know he'll help me through this experience. And in trusting in him, that will strengthen my faith. So the allegiance is shown by drawing on past experience. And that's what Paul did just a few verses ago. So you're doing the same thing. You're drawing, personally saying, he brought me through that. He can bring me through this. Exactly. That's where allegiance actually works. And again, if we just stop at acceptance, we don't have that. Next point that, that kind of is a culmination for that is we show our allegiance to our faith by fighting all the way to the end. Not giving up in the middle, not giving up when it gets tough, not slowing down, but fighting all the way to the end. Second Timothy verse, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, these are verses where the Apostle Paul is literally realizing his life is ending. And these are almost kind of like last words uh, that he's, he's speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And this, you can, you can look at this as depressing or victorious. He's being poured out. It's ending. And there's a soberness to this, to, to this conversation, but there's an incredible victory. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is what I fought for. This is why I, I was uh, acquainted with faith, why I accepted faith, and why I had allegiance to faith and fought so hard. This is where it all ends. One last point. We show our allegiance to our faith by humble and frequent self-examination. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So to test yourself, self, frequent self-examination is really, really, really important. You know, and, and one of the things for me in my own faith, Jonathan, my own experience, has been, you know, through especially through Christian questions, one of the things I have learned, not because I felt like learning it, but because God knew I needed to, was learned how to stretch. Learn how to, to, to try to live up to what I thought was my potential and then have him add a little bit and then say, I don't know, but you brought me this far, kind of like you, maybe, and, and then you work. And so you stretch and say, wow, I didn't think I was capable of that. And then you sort of settle in and then he stretches a little bit more and you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And then, and then, and then you try really hard and then you find out that you were capable more than you ever thought. And over 20 years of doing this, it's amazing. And that, and faith, it, the allegiance to faith says, I'm never going to give up on what the Lord puts before me. And to me, that's been a huge, huge faith lesson. What's our finding faith uh, wrap up for this segment? True and mature Christian faith is not possible without unwavering allegiance to the cause of Christ. This allegiance comes to us uh, to act, to stand, and to have conviction and to fight to the end. So allegiance to faith is different than being acquainted with faith. Uh, it, it, being acquainted is where you start, and it's a nice to meet you. Allegiance to faith is bigger than accepting faith. Accepting faith is, okay, 
I've met faith, I like faith, I want faith, I'm going to have faith in my life. Come, live in my life, faith. Now, allegiance to faith over acceptance is, not only does faith live in my life, faith directs every part of my life. Come what may. That is the growth pattern that we need to see so that we can truly understand the great, powerful, life-changing effects of faith. Real Christian faith is a grown-up thing. No room or time for emotional ups and downs in life. We are acquainted with Christian faith. We have accepted it and have allegiance to it. What's next? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. These three phases of developing faith lead us to a deep and profound life. And folks, as you can see, our Christian faith is obviously not built on the whimsical foundation of emotion, rather is built on the impenetrable foundation of God, His Word, His plan, and His Son. This brings us to a powerful level of trust. And Jonathan, that's what we need to focus on now, because we've got the, uh, the acquaintance and the acceptance and the allegiance. The end result of all of this is a powerful level of trust. This is a, a really short quote from C.S. Lewis, but it is powerful. What is it? I gave in and admitted that God was God. <laughs> and I think that in, in our lives, we can often fight that fact. And you know, you know when we fight it, you know when it, the, the fight is worst? When we have faith and we are trying to live our faith and we think we're doing okay and we may be starting to go down a road that we shouldn't be going down and we want to go down that road. Now, and I know that you've had this happen to you because I've had it happen to me. Absolutely. And you want it to be the right road. And it's like, God, I know you must want me to be on this road because, man, I can just see it. And and then you have to eventually give up and say, God is God. I can't dictate those things. God can. And when we do that, we let go and begin to really, truly trust. Let's go back to This Is Your Brain on God from Michael Ferguson, his TED Talk. And he's going to be talking now about an experiment they did in terms of understanding the, the God part of the human mind. In addition to the biology that supports ecstatic religious experience, we were also curious about how social behavior is influenced by the brain on God. One possibility that we considered is that perhaps our study participants would demonstrate an in-group authority bias if they were asked to compare the teachings of their own religious leaders with the teachings from other faith traditions. We designed a spiritual quotations task in which participants were presented with a spiritual teaching and next to it with a picture of the person who made the statement. They were then asked to rate how meaningful the teaching was, and also how strongly they felt the Spirit in response to that teaching. 
That's interesting because you know that they're setting it up. It's an experiment. And, and so they put the, the picture of somebody next to a teaching that they know and, and believe is a spiritual leader. And then they, another, another saying next to the picture of somebody that, well, may, may be good, but not as good as this person. And so you, you, you kind of figure you know where this is going to end up going. And it's an interesting exercise because, again, this is where kind of emotion comes into play in terms of, of, our, of our faith, and it doesn't always lead us in the right direction. And I think that's a powerful thing to think about here. Mature Christian faith breeds what we'd like to call unrelenting trust. Biblical trust carries different shades of meaning. There's two words from the Old Testament that, that are translated trust, Jonathan, and there's a slight difference in the, in the definitions. What, what, what are the two words in the definitions? All right, the first word means to hide for refuge, and the second means to flee for protection, figuratively to confide in. Okay, so what has all this got to do with trust? Well, let's go to Psalm 18, 5 through 9, because these two Old Testament words for trust are used together in this verse, Psalm 18, uh, 118, 5 through 9. And it shows us the difference between the two, and it helps us to understand the depth of what we sometimes think is trust, and then what trust can be. It shows us the difference, Psalm 18, 118, 5 through 9. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes." Okay, so we had those two words, and Jonathan, when it says it's better to take refuge in the Lord, which word was that? That was the second word, to flee for protection, uh, to confide in. Okay, rather than to trust or to hide for refuge in man. Mm -hmm. It's better, better to take refuge in the Lord, he's repeating himself, to flee for protection than to trust in princes. And I think it, it's a... Um, it's an interesting, important distinction here because what's happening is when we trust in man, when we trust in princes, those in authority and in power you know, in an earthly environment, we're using what's convenient and obvious to trust in. But when it says when you take refuge in the Lord in relation to that, you're going to a higher level. You're not now just using what's convenient and obvious to trust in. You are finding what works with great power to trust in. That's what allegiance to faith can bring us. Finding trust, what works with great power. And, you know, getting back to the previous analogy of wanting to go down a road that I want to go down, but, you know, the Lord is telling me, no, I want to trust in, in Rick because Rick, you know, Rick's pretty smart sometimes, he thinks. I don't think so. <laughs> don't trust in yourself. Humble yourself, brother. Don't trust yourself. You see, now, that's why I keep saying to you, you know, when every time you read James 2.20, you know, you foolish fellow, faith without works is you, you, useless. We, we need Pro to... Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean right. not unto your own understanding. See, the, the point is that it's easy to trust in that which is right in front of us. But the taking refuge, running to for protection happens when we go to God. And even though the way might not seem like the convenient, comfortable way, it's the right one. New Testament words, a couple of New Testament words for, uh, for trust that we're going to be touching on. Uh, what, what are the definitions? 
The first is to expect or confide, and the second is to convince to rely. Okay, so one, it, it's an interesting com- combination, to expect or confide. When you expect something, you, there's absolutely a trust level there because there's, there's an expectation. See, trust breeds expectation. Trust also bring, breeds confidence. When you confide in somebody, you're talking to them because you have trust that they are going to be supportive of you or, or keep what you say quiet and not blab it out to everybody. So let's, before we get to the, the application of those words for trust in the New Testament, let's finish up this experiment. Remember, it was giving a spiritual teaching with the picture of a person, and they're testing to see if they have an allegiance toward those of their own faith versus those of other faiths. Let's, let's hear the result. Because this was an experiment, though, we threw in a little bit of a twist. It turns out that none of the teachings were from their attributed sources. We collected quotations from the writings of C.S. Lewis. He's sometimes referred to in Mormonism as the 13th apostle. We randomized these teachings across all of the trials. And we asked the participants to rank how meaningful they were, how strongly they felt the spirit. And what we saw was so beautiful from the point of view of cognitive science. Believing Mormons consistently ranked the teachings of their own leaders as more meaningful and as more spiritually evocative than the teachings of out-group authority figures, even though in reality they were all from the same source. So that's an interesting conclusion. Now, and, and, you know, it, the, he's talking to a Mormon audience. This was given in Salt Lake City. So it was an experiment done in that, in that environment. And so you, you, know, you had a large Mormon population to draw from. But the, the point is that they, they leaned toward that which they thought had the, the highest source. And it gives you that sense of, you know, faith wants it to, to be very, very, very focused and clear. But what we need to do is be open to truth. You know, sometimes... We will get truth uh, in a way that maybe we don't expect it's going to come to us. Sometimes the Word of God actually means something different than we thought it meant. And we have to be willing to step up to that as well. Mature Christian faith breeds unrelenting trust. Trust is often instilled through logic and teaching. Not emotion. Logic and teaching. And, and we're going to read Acts 19, verses uh, 8 through 10. And just let's, we want to focus on the time frames in which, quote, the faith was presented. Acts 19, 8 through 10. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So there's a couple of time frames mentioned here, Jonathan, that I think are important. First of all, in the first verse that you read, and I should have stopped you after the first one, but oh well. You know, he, it says he entered, Paul enters the synagogue and he's preaching and speaking boldly for how long? Three months, Rick. Okay, three months. And what is he doing? Two things. He's reasoning and persuading them. Okay, and the word for persuading is the word for convince, and that's one of the words for trust. Mm -hmm. So he's reasoning with them and showing them why they should trust in the kingdom of God. 
So he's not just twisting their arm. Persuading to convince means you're looking to use factual approach, a logical, sequential um, presentation to say there is something to this beyond what you have ever seen before. I'm imploring you to get there. Now, the reaction to that, Jonathan, wasn't all great, was it? No, some were speaking bad about him. And so he withdraws and took away, took away the disciples after three months. So he's really working on this. And, and then there's another time frame. It says reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So what happens is Paul never stopped. He continued for two more years, Rick. <laughs> yeah, and that's the point. This took place for two years. So you got the three month, the reasoning daily, and then you got the years. The point is that Paul's faith, he had such allegiance to his faith that he spent his time trying to help others gain that point where they could see and they could trust in the will and word and way of God. And I think that's a powerful, powerful lesson for us to, to, to look at in terms of trust, unrelenting trust. The Apostle Paul had it. He wanted others to have it, to be able to, to, to be acquainted with faith, and then to learn to accept it and learn to have allegiance. And he worked and worked and worked. He applied each phase of faith again and again, so those who heard had real opportunity for faith and trust, so they could have the opportunity to change their lives. Now look, one more point. Mature Christian faith breeds unrelenting trust. What, what, what is it about trust, Jonathan, that's so important here? Trust is a tenuous characteristic that comes as a result of well-developed faith. Okay, trust is tenacious. It is a result. Trust is a result of an allegiance to faith. True trust. Now, look, you can have trust along the way. It's not to say there's no trust along the way, but true, unrelenting trust comes when you have such an allegiance that nothing else matters. And, you know, you think about Jesus in the garden, you know, the, the night before his crucifixion, and he's sweating great drops of blood, and he's praying to, praying to the Father, you know, uh, you know, if it be thy will, let, 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 the, let the experience of, of be, being accused as a blasphemy of you be taken from me. But, but what, was his final, what was his final acquiescence on that? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's unrelenting trust. He was called upon to do the one thing that would break his heart. And he did it anyway. Unrelenting trust. Romans eight twenty-two to 25. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved by hope, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he really sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. A lot of details in that verse. He says hope an awful lot of times. And the word for a hope, the, the important thing, is a variation of one of those words to expect or to confide. So hope really is an expectation. And see, trust doesn't breed a wish. It doesn't breed just a thought. Trust breeds 
expectation. And folks, that's how Christian faith is supposed to work. If you're in the wish stage, you're not dealing with Christian faith at all. We have got to get beyond those things and get into something really, really important. Jonathan, the subject matter in this in this verse is really, really important. What is it? Um, it's the, the whole creation groaning and suffering. Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, and we can see that they're they're waiting eagerly for the adoptions of the sons of God, and but they don't know what they're waiting for. All no, they, they don't. All they hope for, all the world hopes for, is an end to to injustice and to uh, sickness and death and sorrow and pain and all of those things. And you know, and so we know the world is groaning and travailing in the pains of all of these things, and. And it says, waiting till now. And we wait as well for the adoption. And that's what our hope is. That's what our faith brings us to. And, and he's saying, but you can't see it. And that's where you have to hope. And that's where faith comes into play. Ex- ac- uh, uh, acquaintance, acceptance, and allegiance. So let's go through our final uh, finding faith uh, piece for this uh, podcast. Acquaintance, acceptance, and allegiance will bring our faith to a level of life-changing trust. While many talk about feeling their faith, we should be expressing our faith in all things. You know, and that really is the difference. A lot of Christians talk about how faith feels. Folks, honestly and truly, we should really be not talking about how faith feels so much as how faith transforms. How am I different as a result of my faith in God through Christ. What has changed in my daily life? What has changed in my experiences? What has changed in all of the things that happened to me because of faith? Am I still in the, in the stage where I'm just acquainted with it, where it's something, somebody, something nice to meet, and wow, that looks like it's got great potential? Am I still stuck in the acceptance, where it's like, okay, I'd like to have some faith in life, and that'd be great to walk along with? Have I gotten to the point of allegiance? And that allegiance is, I will now acquiesce to being ruled by what faith requires of me, no matter what it is. That brings unrelenting trust. And my friends, that's how Christian faith works. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed talking to you about such a powerful and inspiring subject. Faith can firmly trust in God the Father and Jesus his Son. Think about it. And folks, remember, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, in Google Play, in Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about how do angels help us in daily life. Talk to you next week.